Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more. The fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, begambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to Premier League All Access with me, Sam Matterface. Alongside me as always, Talk Sports Chief Football Correspondent, Alex Crook. And joining us, we've got international football expert, Kevin Hatchard. Here's what's coming up. I think sometimes we get a little bit blasé about what England have done in qualifying campaigns. You know, some of these major nations have have struggled to qualify. And I think England's making it look automatic and making it look straightforward, I think, takes some doing. Uh, As far as I'm concerned, I don't think Joel and Abraham Glazer ever had any great intentions uh, of selling the club in its entirety, unless somebody made them a mind-boggling offer that was too good to refuse. And I think Sir Jim Ratcliffe has lost his PR campaign already with the fact that his takeover takeover will see the Glazers remain in situ. He claims to be a boyhood Manchester United fan, someone with the best interests of the football club at heart. If either of those things were true, then he wouldn't even contemplate entering into an agreement that sees the Glazers retain control. Uh, good morning, hello, good afternoon, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to Premier League All Access. Kevin, you are right. Yeah, very good, very good. So I'm off to England, Italy, so very much looking forward to that. I'm quite excited by Germany's revival as well. Oh, okay, under Julian Nagelsmann. We'll talk about that a little yes. bit later on. I know that you've uh, been following that closely. Uh, and uh, Alex Crook is here as well, looking like he's been dragged through a hedge backwards. Uh, but that usually means... <laughs> Made an effort. Uh, hello, how are you? Yeah, good. Not too bad, thank you. Enjoying a, re- a weekend off. Hungover? No, no, no. Too professional for that. Majorly hungover? <laughs> Obviously, I was tucked up in bed by 10 o'clock. I saw a picture of you half naked in a hot tub last night and it disturbed me quite, uh, quite I can a lot. Imagine. Actually, after that picture was taken, one of the guys fell out of the hot tub and uh, pretty much broke his shin bone. So, uh, yeah, it was... Uh, what they call it? Uh, Instagram versus reality. Wow, that that's quite some achievement. Um, were you not being careful not to run around the water? Because you know what it's like whenever you're in those those special sort of like pools. There's a there's a list of things that you have to avoid doing. One of them is heavy petting <laughs> yes. for a start. Another one is running in and around the, the sort of the area where there might be splashes of water. That's hot tub one hundred and one, isn't it? Yeah. Don't break your shin um, bone. I'm quite surprised, actually, that you don't know the rules off by heart, bearing in mind you literally spend as much time in a hot tub as you possibly can. It's one of your sort of, like, go-to things, isn't it? Um, what okay, what a disturbing to start about. to the show, by the way. <laughs> I know. <laughs> oh, dear. Uh, well, if people weren't hungover... I bet they are now. Um, right, OK. Uh, let's get to England versus Australia, first of all. 
You know, they say everybody needs good neighbours. Well, the Aussies are not our neighbours, so we don't need to be good to them tonight. Back out towards Goodwin, whose first cross was cleared. Backus will just let the ball come onto his right foot. That's a smart save from Johnston. Now England will be able to break forward themselves, and the goalkeeper, Ryan, comes out. Watkins is round him, and he's hit the post. You ask me, where's the goal coming from for England? It's going to come from Ollie Watkins running in behind. Goes out towards the uh, England right-hand side. Alexander-Arnold swinging one. Too deep for Doug Grealish, and it's put in. And England lead. Ollie Watkins sliding into the far post. He's there to score. He's done brilliantly there. Typical striker's instinct. Just getting in at the back post. Plenty of air underneath it. Heads go up and it's wide. What a good chance that was. A real head-in-hand moment. Metcalf, but a clean sheet is a clean sheet. Victory is a victory and that's what England have got. But the bottom line is that England have got the job done. They've beaten Australia by a golden hill. Yeah, it was a narrow victory for England, and it's interesting. I mean, we don't want to spend too much time sort of dissecting the performance, because I think it's probably done by the time you listen to this podcast. But just there's a couple of questions, really. I wonder, Kevin, what you think about this, because I heard this during uh, the game, and I heard it afterwards. Is the claim that England struggle to break down teams that are compact, make it difficult, employ a low block, a legitimate argument, or one that springs from a sort of populist, narrative on social media that it needs to be a lot more entertaining than this because I went through the results and the results don't necessarily reflect that. Yeah, I think that is what gets levelled at a lot of teams because that's just one of the truths of football. If a team is organised and compact and doesn't give you much space to play then it is going to be difficult to play through them even if you've got some of the best players in the world and the balance that you have is that you don't want to be open when you lose the ball and you want to be organized and compact yourselves, but you also want to have enough creativity in the team to open a team up. I think England are fine. I thought that performance against Australia was what they wanted it to be. It was uh, a lot of players that don't have a huge amount of international experience, haven't played mm-hmm. a lot together as a unit, but I thought there were some really nice moments. thought Trent Alexander-Arnold showed a couple of moments of genuine quality. I think James Madison's a great option. Somebody that even if you don't start him in a tournament game, for example, he's a guy you could bring on and he can change the game. He can, you know, pick up a pocket of space, nice weighted pass, something like that. So they've got the quality there, but you have to have that balance. You have to have that core principle to start with and then the rest of the magic comes on top so I think England have just about got it right and it was a B team I think as well um, on on Friday night and let's go for the results since the start of the World Cup they played 12 won 9 drawn 2 lost 1 games where you would maybe argue that they haven't been able to perform at their best would be Ukraine and the USA at the World Cup I mean both of which actually didn't really matter haven't really mattered in the in the wider context of uh, qualification or going through in the World Cup group. But generally, they usually do find a way of breaking through a team. Nations League, that that six games, four of them in 12 days, I think was just carnage. You have to write it off. But if you look at the wider body of work, they always seem to find a way through, even if it isn't. So I suppose the sort of, the angst really is sort of railing against the entertainment. You know, why are we playing this game? Well, teams have to play these games to warm up. They're never always going to be. I think sometimes you have to look at international friendlies a little bit like pre-season friendlies, right? In that they are 
almost full of experimentation. They are there just to get the games into your legs before you either play a big match or you you end up um, preparing for a tournament. Um, do we think that a team is settled now, uh, Alex? Do we know what the strongest eleven for England is, apart from possibly who is going to be Declan Rice's partner in midfield? Yeah, I think so. I think if you're looking at the the left back options, obviously as well, with, with Luke Shaw unavailable, probably Trippier will, will be the answer to that question. I thought he did well in the game on on Friday night. One of few who did. I think it was a very very laboured performance um, from England, but I guess that's inevitable when you make so many changes. These players aren't necessarily used to playing with each other, but I agree with Kev. I think there were a few who stood out. I know he missed a good chance in the first half, but I thought Ollie Watkins' movement was excellent and he was deserving of his goal. I think Lewis Dunk deserves plaudits for um, his defensive work and I think he's He's pretty close now, I think, to guaranteeing his place on the plane for the Euros next summer with the performances he's put in in, in recent weeks. But yeah, I think we do know what the eleven will be against Italy and I'm expecting a much better, a much more dynamic England performance. I watched Spain against Scotland, as you know, in midweek. They're miles away from England in, in terms of quality. Look, looking at this European Championships and Kev Chuck in Germany, apart from France, I don't see anybody that England should really fear. Yeah, you said that a couple of times actually on Friday, didn't you? And um, and, and Kevin, I don't know what the situation is with Germany, but I can imagine that there's still some, some work to be done there before they're ready for their home Euros. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I agree with Crookie. I think, I think sometimes we get a little bit blasé about what England have done in qualifying campaigns. And I think actually you look at some of the other major nations, Italy have failed to qualify for back-to-back World Cups, which is... Seems unbelievable, but it can happen. Portugal had to come through a playoff. You know, some of these major nations have have struggled to qualify. And I think England making it look automatic and making it look straightforward, I think takes some doing. I think with Germany, they had their first game under Julian Nagelsmann against the USA. Much, much better than it has been. Um, Much, much more intense um, better organised. I think he's trying to get principles across to his players that are basic. He knows that he can't be too nuanced about it. He knows he can't be too tactically complex because he hasn't got the time. But the bonus he has is that he's worked with a lot of these players before at Bayern. And he knows that there is genuine individual quality there. Ilka Gundogan, Jamal Musiala, Leroy Zane is playing as well as I've ever seen him play right now for club and country. So he's got the basis there, brilliant goalkeeper as well into Stegen. The basis is there. The problem that's really been there for Germany, I would say for years now, is that lack of balance between attack and defence. And that is something I think England have a much better handle on than a lot mm. of the major nations. Um, I thought Watkins' movement was brilliant and I thought that there was a particular moment when just before he was released in behind by Madison, who was, I, I thought, terrific. I mean, listen, he's not top level. It wasn't sort of like a world-beating performance, but in terms of the context of the game and the way that the two teams performed, I thought you saw so much from him. He wants the ball all the time. He wants to influence the play all the time. He's quite happy to go and drop deep and pick the ball up and try and build and keep the ball moving. I like that about Madison. Also can thread those beautiful passes through and just before he, he threaded the ball through to Watkins where he rounded the goalkeeper and hit the post Watkins a couple of times had just gone a little bit early and actually I thought in a sense that kind of sort of allowed him to get in for that one where he hit the post because 
the defence was so sort of concerned about him. They were worried. They they were trying to keep him onside, uh, offside. They were trying to make sure that he went, and they were they weren't hundred percent set. And then he went bang, and he's got the pace to get in behind. And I think he's uh, he's a delightful little talent. Um, but he's a good backup striker to to Harry Kane, and they do need that. And especially with Callum Wilson's injuries, you never know the uh, the situation that he's going to be in by the time we get to the European Championships. Um, I thought Conor Gallagher was lucky not to have got a, a second bookable uh, offence because actually he got given a foul when he committed a foul and then he got yellow carded just before half time. So they took him off as a result of that. Um, Trent Alexander-Arnold, you mentioned him. His movement into space, I thought, to try and pick up the ball was quite intelligent. He's learning that midfield position, isn't he? Sort of coming in from right back and then in the second half playing more as a central midfield player. But it, it's just getting that sort of... It's very congested in in games like that against a team that play a low block and try to be compact. So he has to move out to the sides to get the ball, which he started to, to do towards the end of the game and had an influence, obviously, on the goal. Let's talk about Italy then. Do you see Italy on Saturday night? They uh, they eventually came good against Malta, Kev. Yeah, they did. And a couple of good performances in there. Uh, just a note for Destiny Udogi, who came on, the, the Spurs um, wing-back who came on and, and got an assist. That was his debut for Italy. Very dynamic mm. player. Uh, I, th- I think Domenico Baradi was excellent, got a couple of brilliant goals. But it's still early days under Spalletti. They're still learning how he wants to play. I still think if you look at their overall quality levels, squad for squad, I think England are superior and I think there's a gap there. But that's not to say Italy aren't a good side. Of course they are. But I I do think we're some way away from the best Italy at the moment. I think they have individual quality. I love Bastoni. I think he's a brilliant brilliant defender. I think he's getting better all the time. He's been so good for Inter as well. Big part of them reaching the Champions League final last season. But for me, obviously England went there and got the win. I see no reason why England can't win again. They'll fancy their chances. They're big favourites on Tuesday night, England, but it's not a foregone conclusion because it's a pressurised game and it, it will be tight at times. But there are people missing isn't there for uh, Italy because of this betting inquiry? Yeah, absolutely. And you wonder uh, if that's going to have a, a detrimental impact of them. Um, still not heard from Newcastle or Aston Villa uh, to get their take on what's going on with Tonali and uh, Zaniolo, respectively. But I think it does weaken the Italian squad. And I agree with Kev. Um, I didn't think it was a surprise that, that England won the reverse meeting, obviously got their group campaign off to a flying start and arguably their most difficult fiction. I think you can see then there was a golfing class between the two teams. And I would argue that potentially England, given the form of Jude Bellingham at this moment in time, are, are an even better side now than they were then. So I think there's every opportunity for, for England to win this game and to send out a statement. Are we a little bit uncomfortable with the idea that England are favourites, not only for this game, but like favourites for, for most games that they play now? And they're actually not only favourites because the market is influenced by a bit of home support, but favourites because people believe actually they've got a better quality squad than almost everybody in, in the world. There's only three or four teams probably in the world now in international football that have got a better squad than England. I think that's fair. I, I think, And I think a part of it is the track record that Gareth Southgate's developed. You know, that consistency is really hard thing to find. And, and to have that structure and to have that environment where England players can develop. And he said it himself that the first part of his tenure was about making that shirt lighter 
It was about making it easier to play for England. And, you know, we all remember the Iceland game, for example, where top-class players couldn't play a five-yard pass. And that is about fear. That's about fear. Oh, no, it's happening again. What's the reaction going to be? You know, and I just think he has changed that dynamic. And that's so valuable and so easy to underestimate the impact of that. And then you have, as you say, you know, I love the fact that Jude Bellingham is is turning out for one of the biggest clubs in the world. And he's not just turning out for them, has become a leader already. I mean, that is truly remarkable to go to Real Madrid and from the get-go embrace the pressure and actually enjoy the pressure. I think he actually has become the kind of player that not needs it, but certainly thrives when that pressure's on and he can take that on his shoulders. He's been absolutely sensational. I love that Harry Kane has made that step to come out of the Premier League, try something new. He's playing well for Bayern. I think he can play even better. I think I've done a lot of his games this season. He can link better with some of the Bayern players that will come. But in terms of the goal scoring, that's absolutely been there. Have you got any more information on what's happening with this Italian betting scandal? We know that Tonali and Zaniolo are involved in it, but um, it's up to sort of 12 players who are involved in this scandal, isn't it? I mean, it's a widespread thing and there is a sort of stigma that is attached to Italian football because there's been so many of these huge scandals that keep coming around that affect them prior to these big tournaments. Yeah, and you've got a situation where... Juventus obviously had the problem with the Plus Valencia investigation. They've Mm. been kicked out of Europe. And this is Turin public prosecutors who are investigating this. And they spoke to Nicolo Fagioli, who was Serie A Young Player of the Year. And he was the first one the prosecutors spoke to before they spoke to Tonali and Zaniolo. And as you say, there are reports, unconfirmed at this stage, but there are reports that there will be more players involved. And what we do know is it's about illegal betting sites. That it, it's not, you know, it, it's it's about unlicensed betting sites that are being used. Mm. What we don't know at this stage is, is it matches players were involved in? Is it football at all? There's been talk, again, unconfirmed, that Zaniolo saying, well, I only played... I only played cards on these on these sites. I didn't actually bet on football. So we'll see what the detail and the proof of that is. But if this turns out to be betting on football, the consequences could be very, very serious because there have been players who've been banned for well over a year um, for that kind of thing. So we wait for the detail, but this could be very, very serious. And on Tutor Sport, there was a a headline that said panical. So panic. There are a lot of clubs and a lot of players waiting to see how this blossoms. And this is this is this is a worry. And quite rightly so, if there is any sort of suggestion, any undercurrent of betting on football matches that players have been involved in in particular, then the authorities have to come down on them hard. Because otherwise what you're doing is is you're you're you, you're making everybody buy into a product which then you don't know really is legitimate. And, and you, can't, you can't have that feeling. It takes away the trust element. And everyone's got to believe that, that when a football match starts, everybody is in it for the same reason, which is to go out and, and win. And without that sort of trust element in it, you can't, you can't operate. And it will lose its appeal very, 
very quickly. Um, I, I wonder whether or not we haven't heard from Villa and Newcastle about these two players because their devices were seized and, and, and they don't know where they are either. Um, you just wonder whether or not they've turned off fine. My I think friend. the official sort of steer from Aston Villa is they want to get full facts before they rush to, to any judgment. I think that's probably right and proper because as Kev said, there is a suggestion that maybe this is not necessarily football betting related at all. It, it could simply be the betting via illegal sites, in which case it's obviously a, a criminal matter, but not necessarily one that would lead to a, a ban from football. I think what's also important to stress here is if there was a ban from football, that would be a worldwide ban. So although in the case of um, Zaniolo and Tonali, they're no longer playing in Italy. If the Italian authorities decided to ban them, then it would become worldwide. And obviously that's a massive problem. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. Yes, the regular listeners of this podcast might be a little bit sick to death of uh, either a Manchester United disaster, a Manchester United <laughs> protest, a Manchester United takeover talk. Um, but it may well be that we could be coming to the end of one of those chances because Sheikh Jassim El Tani has pulled out of the running to be the Manchester United owner. Well, so they've said. Is this negotiating tactic or is it really happening? Greg? Water is wet. The Glazer family are not going to sell to the Qataris. Who saw that coming? Um, I don't think it is a negotiating tactic. Um, I think what it is actually is a face-saving tactic because they know that they've lost out. They know the Glazers are not willing to enter into a full sale, not for the money they were offering anyway. They believe that the valuation of the football club from the American owners at Manchester United is is unrealistic. But they also know that United, I think, are very close now to approving a minority deal, which would see Sir Jim Ratcliffe take over 25% of the football club initially with a view to eventually, at some point in the future, uh, taking overall control. But this is, this is not going to go down well with Manchester United. I mean, the whole process has been a farce uh, as far as I'm concerned. I don't think Joel and Avram Glazer ever had any great intentions uh, of selling the club in its entirety unless somebody made them a mind-boggling offer that was too good to refuse. And I think Sir Jim Ratcliffe has lost 
his PR campaign already with the fact that his takeover takeover will see the Glazers remain in situ. He claims to be a boyhood Manchester United fan, someone with the best interests of the football club at heart. If either of those things were true, then he wouldn't even contemplate entering into an agreement that sees the Glazers retain control. Well, it's interesting you say that because I wonder whether or not that's a little bit naive to suggest that because if it was always thus that the price was set so fancifully high because they didn't really want anyone to pay it and they didn't really want to relinquish control of the club, then maybe Sir Jim Ratcliffe, having recognised that at an early juncture, decided to box clever, clearly a very wealthy, very sensible very patient man decided to the, the the best solution for him to eventually get control of the the club was to play a long game plot a takeover in the future and his stake would just be the beginning the thing is is that it's all right and it's very easy to sit there and say well he was a boyhood manchester united fans and if he and if he really loved the club then then he would he, he wouldn't entertain at getting into business with the glazers the issue here is is the glazers own the club so you have to get into business with the glazers if you want to eventually remove them from being the owners don't you kevin it, it it's just it's one of those things where you you have no choice, really. It's not like you can sit there and try and be holy in an hour about it. Well, look, you've got to get your foot in the door. And that is exactly. what he's doing. And I think, you know, the one thing we know from his involvement with Nice, he's not in football to make money, put it that way, because he spent quite a lot with Nice. And it hasn't worked out in the sense that I think they had grand plans of, we'll qualify for the Champions League, we'll do this, we'll do that. However... They've had a lot of European campaigns. They've had some high placings in Liga. They've played some good football. They've had a mixed recruitment campaign. I think too British-based at times. I think some of the signings from British football have been a bit odd. But I think in general, that club has moved forwards. And I think by and large, the supporters have been quite positive about it from where the club was to where it is now I think it's fair to say it's moved forwards maybe not as quickly as was promised but I think in general it's gone quite well the one thing I would say is that I think some Nice fans would like a bit more communication would like him to speak out a bit more publicly about plans for the club and just in general he's had a couple of appearances but nothing sustained so I wonder if that's something to learn from for him but yeah I think you're right I think He's not in this to make cash. I, I, I don't think. I don't believe that's the case. I think if you look <laughs> he at doesn't these, need to be in it to make cash. His business turns over $61 billion yeah. a year. That's it. I think he's probably got enough. <laughs> I know that everyone wants to keep earning, but I think out of everyone, he's got he's got a bit of loose fine. change that he can probably <laughs> spend on Manchester United and their recruitment. Um, the, the issue is, is that obviously the process has been going on for a very long time. And if things are going to take time before he gets control. And I don't expect this to happen in five, ten years, but over, sorry, five months. It's going to be five, ten years before he eventually edges himself into a, a position of ultimate control. Whether or not that he's got that, he, whether he's got the patience to do that, I don't know. But I think it will be a process now of him trying to get into the chairman's lounge. But what happens to Manchester United whilst all this process goes on? Well, I think he wants... A big say, if not the overall say, on day-to-day football matters. Um, it'll be interesting to see what he makes of Manchester United's existing board makeup because 
I don't think at the moment they've got the best in class people in those roles. So it'll be interesting to see what happens to people like Richard Arnold and, and John Murter and, and Darren Fletcher, of course, is the, the technical director. Um, but I, I don't see a huge amount changing in the short term. All the time, the Glazers retain overall control. That they'll they'll probably fix the, the the roof that's been leaking on supporters as a bit of a, a symbolic gesture, but I don't see as, as you say that this is going to get a lot better for Manchester United anytime soon because it is clearly going to be a long process. I would expect the protests to start up again um, when we return to Premier League action after the international break, and I think United fans are going to make it pretty clear to Sir Jim Ratcliffe that they're not overly pleased with him. Um, the Glazers as an entity, I think Crook was sort of trying to articulate that, are not necessarily the only problem, the whole problem. It's their, it's their inability to sort of appoint the right people to do the jobs and run the joint on a day-to-day basis. So the idea of somebody else coming in and taking responsibility for that might have an initial uplift, Kevin. Yeah, I think so. Um, I, I just think there are problems at all levels of the club. I, I think if you look the, at the way they handled the Mason Greenwood situation. They seem to be prevaricating and just kind of trying to... There seems to be a lot of testing the water, testing opinion before they make decisions. And what that does... It, Where would they have got that from? Is there any sort of like, I don't know, government that sort of flies these... Oh, imagine that. The, imagine the that. Like. How does that ever has happened before? So look, I, I think there's a lot of that. There's a lot. There's a lack of conviction at all levels, I think, and that smacks of a, a lack of decisiveness. That's a great way of putting it. Uh, and because of that, you have a situation where, if you look at Ten Hag, I like Ten Hag. I, I I like what he did at Ajax. I felt that if he got the authority, he would do well at Manchester United. But the trap they've fallen into again is saying to a manager, "Who do you want?" Who would you like us to sign? It's not supposed to work like that. Yes, you work with the manager and you say to them, here's the list we've drawn up. Is there anybody you really like? Is there anybody you you were absolutely no, not interested in? But they basically went, Anthony's worked with Malassia, he likes from Dutch football. You know, most of these guys... He played against Mount when he was at Vitesse Arnhem. It's not a grown-up way of doing football business, is it? Giving too much power to the manager. it's got to be independent. it's You've got, got to, to have the a sporting the- director there who organises the club. So if the manager does fail, managers do fail. Head coaches fail. Even the best ones fail every now yeah. and again because of circumstances, personality types, just the fact they've had to move to one city where they don't particularly feel comfortable, their family aren't there, whatever. There is always at the propensity to fail if you're a head coach. But when yeah. that does happen, it's quite expensive to change them. You've got to still have the structure. Yeah, the, the goalkeeper is a key example, actually, of what Kev was saying, because um, I, I think Manchester United were, were certainly pushing in different directions to Ten Hag on that one. I think uh, Verbruggen, who ended up at Brighton, was a, a big target of the football board and Ten Hag really pressed for Anana. They probably spent more money in that area than they planned. And obviously, at the moment, Anana's not worked out a particularly good signing. It's early in his Manchester United career and that could change. But you're right. And what I would suggest is that Erin Ten Hag doesn't necessarily have faith in those above him to make the big footballing decisions. And, and maybe that is an area, as I mentioned, that Sir Jim Ratcliffe will look to address. One of those key sort of like um, sort of sliding doors moments, isn't it? You know, whether a goalkeeper or a player is chosen by the manager or, or the board who have done the research and have spent all their time recruiting. Uh, Roberto De Zerbi famously, when he first went into to Brighton, thought he had a better idea of the type of players that needed to be brought into the football club and then realised very quickly after dealing with the recruitment algorithms and, and, and the uh, setup up at Brighton that actually, no, no, 
they're much better at this than me. And then his big decision is to seed that, right? Okay, so instead of fighting about that, he realizes, he's an intelligent guy, he realizes these guys are better than me. I'm going to let them get on with it. And then, you know, we all know the history of Brighton and, and what they've picked up as a result. Anyway, uh, gentlemen, thank you very much. Italy against England uh, from Wembley is live on TalkSport on Tuesday night. It's a big game. England uh, on the verge of qualification. And uh, if they do beat uh, Italy, they'll be almost, almost in Berlin getting ready for the draw in a couple of weeks' time. Thank you, Kev. Thank you. Thank you, Alex. Thank you. Enjoy the rest a week of off next uh, week, your you? day. Got a week no, next week, I've taken a weekend off. I'll be back at oh, it. On there. By the time this podcast hit, hit Spotify, I'll be back at it. With another hangover. Uh, thank you very much. Make sure you write and review all on the... Uh, wherever you get your podcasts, give us a five-star review. Go on, just be nice. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Labrooks. Odds update on Talk Sport with Labrooks. Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply.